to see what the concentration of a solute is as we move from the plasma, as it's filtered out of the plasma, and it moves through the proximal tubule. Hello? So we are looking at how the solute is reabsorbed versus how water is reabsorbed. So when we look in the proximal tubule, we can do the math because we know how much solute is reabsorbed versus how much water is reabsorbed. And so we're able to look at whether a solute is actually increasing in concentration or decreasing in concentration based on how much of the solute is left relative to how much water is left. Okay? But as we move through the rest of the nephron, that becomes a little bit more difficult. We have hormonal influences, and we've got passive movements of solutes and fluids. So we can now look at trends. So if you have a PF TFP ratio that's greater than one, it could be for one of two reasons. Either you're secreting more of that solute into the um, segment of the nephron to increase the concentration, or you're reabsorbing more water than you are reabsorbing solute. If you have a TFP ratio of less than one, that means more solute is reabsorbed than you have water being reabsorbed. So if we look at our very first block, the proximal tubule, you will see that PAH is very high. Why would PAH ratio be very high in terms of concentration by the time we reach the end of the proximal tubule? Why is it high? Because PAH is secreted. And so that's why you'll see an increase in the concentration of PAH. Why do we see an increase in creatinine levels here, the blue line here? What's going on with creatinine in the proximal tubule? It is also secreted, so you will see an increase in the concentration because of this increased secretion. Why do we see an increase in the urea concentration in the proximal tubule? Why do we see an increase in urea reabsorption? or rear concentration in the proximal tubule? This side of the room. Why do I see an increase in urea concentration as I move to the end of my proximal tubule? More water is being reabsorbed than urea, good. What about my inulin though? What do we know about inulin? Is it reabsorbed? Is it secreted? No, <laughs> she's down there, that's confidence, yes. It is neither reabsorbed nor secreted. So why is my inulin concentration going up? Because of water reabsorption. You see how I highlighted that thing in red? Water reabsorption is important. Because nothing is wrong with inulin. Inulin is filtered, freely filtered, no, not reabsorbed nor secreted, but you notice the concentration goes up because of water reabsorption. What about my sodium and chloride and potassium? Why is that line at one? So I have 67% of reabsorption of water and 67% reabsorption of those solutes. And again, why is my bicarb down to about 0 0.2, 0 0.3? I'm reabsorbing more 
bicarb than I am water. Same for my glucose and my amino acids. All right, great. Got the proximal tubule. Now let's move on. So let's go to the descending portion of my loop of Henle. Now what do we expect to see happening in my descending portion of the loop of Henle? What's going on in my loop of Henle, the descending portion of my loop of Henle? Water is being reabsorbed. So what would you expect to see happening to my TFP curve? You would expect it to go above one or go below one? It would go above one. My TFP curve would be greater than one because I am reabsorbing more water than I am solutes, impermeable to solutes. And if you notice the trend of all the curves, they're going up. But why is urea going up steeper than all the rest? There is recycling. So you're seeing secretion of urea happening in the loop of Henley. So this patient must be dehydrated because what must be present in order for urea secretion into the loop of Henley occur? We need ADH, good. So you'll notice this line is much steeper than the others because you're also in addition to water reabsorption being higher, we're also secreting more urea into the loop of Henle. Good. Now let's look at the thin ascending portion of our loop of Henle. What's going on in the thin portion of our ascending loop of Henle with regards to water movement and solute movement? No water movement, but solute movement. So what would I expect my TFP curves to look like now as I go through my thin ascending limb? Is it gonna be less than one or greater than one? It's going to go down and become less than one. And you notice the trend. All of them are going down. Now, urea still goes up because, remember, you can still get recycling of urea in the thin ascending as well. Okay? So you'll see urea still going up because you have that recycling. But all the others are going down because you're reabsorbing solutes more than you are water. Okay? Now, as we get into our early distal tubule, what do we expect to see the trends looking like with our TFP curve? More than one? Less than one. So we go into our early distal. What do we expect to see happening with our curves? What's going on in my early distal? Is it permeable to water or impermeable to water? impermeable to water. So if it's impermeable to water, what would you expect to start to see happening? You would start to see the dip in concentrations. And you do. You see a little dip here. Starts to go down. Starts to go down. Starts to go down. And then the trend is up. Why? As you move throughout the rest of the distal, you'll see that the concentrations have gone up considerably. Why? ADH. So in the early distal, you start to see a small trend of it dipping because again, it's impermeable to water, but then you see a sharp increase in concentration increasing of all of the solutes because you have the presence of ADH. Why does potassium shoot up real high? It's also being secreted. 
right? So potassium through the principal cells, you're going to see a lot of potassium secretion. And so you'll get the increase in potassium a little bit more than your sodium and your chloride. And then as we pass through our collecting duct, you'll see that the concentration now goes really, really high, again, because of the presence of ADH. So we've got more water being reabsorbed as we get to the ending portion of our segment. And so that concentrates our solutes a little bit more. Okay? So as you move through the proximal tubule, you can use the numbers to denote the concentration amounts as you move from the beginning to the end of the proximal tubule because you know how much water and how much solute gets reabsorbed at that portion. And as you move through the rest of it, based on the permeability of water versus solutes, you can also denote the trend of whether your TFP curve is going to go up or it's going to go down. Okay? So question, my descending limb, is my TFP ratio going to go up or is it going to go down? In my descending limb, you would expect my ratio to go up because I'm reabsorbing more water than solute. But in my ascending limb, would you expect my TFP curve to go up or go down? It would go down because water is impermeable in my ascending limb. What about my distal tubule collecting duct? Would my TFP curve go up or go down? Right. It depends on whether I have ADH. So if I have ADH, my trend would be to go up. And if I have no ADH, the trend would be to stay down. Right. Good. All right. So basically, we're just looking at how solutes become concentrated as they move through the nephron. And in the proximal, we can put values to it because we know how much gets reabsorbed versus water. And again, if you have a TFP ratio greater than one, for one of two reasons, either there was secretion of the solute or more water was reabsorbed in the solute. And if you have a TFP ratio less than one, more solute was reabsorbed than water. And it's very important that you know the values of reabsorptive of the solutes um, for your exam next week. Yeah. All right, last topic, clearance. Oh, Okay, so the clearance of which substance would best approximate the GFR? All right, Let's see as we move through. All right, so clearance. What do we need to know about clearance? Why is clearance important? Anybody think of why clearance might be important? Now, clearance is the volume of plasma that gets cleared of a particular solute over a period of time. So it's a rate. Okay. Well, why is clearance important? Efficiency, clearance of drugs. 
when you get into term five and farm and you're learning about drugs, you're going to be learning a lot about clearance as well because you cannot prescribe a drug to a patient if you don't know how it's going to clear out of the body. So this is a very important aspect for clinical, um, for clinical use when it comes to farm. So you want to know how much of plasma can get cleared of a particular solute over a particular unit of time. And there's two um, components to this. You have to take into account the excretion rate, which we know is to be UX times V. And we also have to take into account the amount of solute that's in the plasma. So that's our PX. So our clearance equation is UX times V over P of X. All right. So last week, or was it this week? I don't even remember. We talked about filtered load. Was it last week? It was last week. Yeah, it was last week. We talked about filtered load. And what was our filtered load? How do we find that rate? GFR times our plasma concentration of a particular solute. Good. And then we know our excretion rate is UX times V. And then in between, we have our net transport rate where we can determine whether a solute is either reabsorbed or secreted. And we do that by subtracting our excretion rate from our filtered load. And so we can either call that our net transport rate, which we learned last week, or you can also see it as either your secretion or reabsorptive rate if you know which way the solute is going. So if you know the solute is reabsorbed, it's your reabsorption rate. If you know it's secreted, it's your secretion rate. If you don't know, you just call it the net transport rate. Now we know glucose. How much glucose is reabsorbed in the proximal tubule? 100%. All right, cool. And we know that it's done on a transporter. Now, what we do know is it's a co-transport with sodium, and then you have facilitated diffusion of glucose on the basal lateral membrane black into the blood. Now, glucose transporters have saturation kinetics, okay? which means that there's only so many glucose molecules transporters can take. So you're moving, right? You're moving apartments, and you have 10 boxes that you need to move, right? You can only fit one box in each hand. So if you fit one box, so how many boxes can you move from one room or from one apartment to the next at a time? Two boxes, one in each hand, right? That's your saturation limit. And no, you can't stack because they're too big to stack. And so you have to carry one in each hand. Good. Same thing. And then we, the more hands you have, the more boxes you can carry. Right? It's the same premise here. Right? You've got your proteins with saturation kinetics, and the more you have, the more you're able to bind up the glucose, and the more you can reabsorb. But once you have saturated and over filled up all the slots for the transporters to carry the glucose, the glucose cannot be reabsorbed, and it starts to spill. And that's what you see in patients with diabetes mellitus. Because you have to take into account two things. You have to take into account renal threshold. So renal threshold is a concentration. So the amount of glucose that I have in my blood is going to help determine the rate at which my transporters can carry my glucose into the blood. Right? So how much I can reabsorb it out of my tubule back into the blood. So the renal threshold is going to help determine the rate of transport for my, um, for my carriers. So when we look at the renal handling of glucose, so glucose, is it freely filterable? 
Is it a freely filterable molecule? Yes. So no matter how much I have in the blood, it's all going to be filtered. Okay. Now glucose has a renal threshold of 2 milligrams per milliliter or 200 milligrams per deciliter. That means that as long as I have 2 milligrams per milliliter in of glucose in my blood, my um, carriers will have enough room to carry all of that glucose and reabsorb it back into the blood. Okay? So my renal threshold of 2 mg per mil is just enough for my transporters to be able to carry all of it back out of the lumen and reabsorb it into the blood. Now your transport maximum or your TM for your carriers for glucose is roughly about 350 to 375 milligrams of glucose every minute. And so what happens is you have two milligrams per milliliter or in this case, they did mix from deciliter, so 200 milligrams per deciliter. As long as you are below that renal threshold, as long as you have less than that in your plasma, you will have reabsorption of your glucose, right? So up until 200, you've got nice reabsorption of your glucose, and there's no excretion of your glucose. But once you have more than two milligrams per mil or 200 milligrams per deciliter of glucose in your blood, now you're, you're, you've got too much in your blood so that when it gets filtered through, there's not enough carriers available to carry all of that glucose. And so what happens is you start to see the reabsorptive capabilities taper off. It can only carry so much. And once you've exceeded that amount, it's like, I can't do it anymore. And so that's when you start to see spillage of glucose and your excretion rate goes up. Okay. So let's take a look at two patients. We've got patient A and we've got patient B. What do we know about patient A versus patient B? Question, yes. Splay. So splay, it's kind of like almost at saturation but not there. So it's like if you have one space left and then you um, want to fill it with one glucose molecule and then you've got maybe about four trying to vie for that one last spot, you're still going to get a little bit that's starting to spill. You haven't really started to get an extreme amount of spillage, but you're starting to see some beginning of spillage occurring as it's trying to fill that one last spot on your carriers. So it's just the start of when you're starting to, starting to see excretion occurring. Right? So we've got two patients, A and B. What do we note about A versus B? Look at patient B. Let's look at the plasma concentration of glucose in patient A versus patient B. What do we notice? It's much higher in B. All right, so let's work with patient A first. Is patient A do they have a plasma glucose concentration that's below threshold? Yes. Threshold is 2 mg per mil. Patient BA has 1 mg per mil. All right, perfect. That's good. Now, as we look here, you will see our plasma glucose concentration multiplied by our renal plasma flow gives us a rate of 700 mg per minute, which means that 
every minute you've got 700 milligrams of glucose that is flowing through my blood flow into my renal, my afferent arterial. Okay? Now, if my plasma glucose concentration is one mg per mil, and this is telling me that this um, multiplication of these two values is giving me this rate of 700 mg per mil, how much must my renal plasma flow then be? 700 what? Milliliters per minute. Good. All right. So this, for the sake of this equation, our plasma glucose is one mg per mil, and our RPF is 700 milliliters per minute. And so you multiply those two, you get a rate of having 700 milligrams of glucose flowing through our, our front arterial every minute. All right. Now we've got to figure out how much glucose is getting filtered. How would I do that? I need to find my filtered load. And we know our filtered load to be... What's a filtered load? GFR times our plasma concentration of G, or glucose in this case. So here it tells you our filtered load is 100 milligrams per minute. And so if our plasma glucose concentration is 1 mg per mil, well then what's our GFR then going to be? 100, 100 mils per min. Good. All right. So... Out of that 700 milligrams per minute that was f of glucose that was flowing in to my afferent arterial, 100 milligrams is getting filtered every minute. What's my transport maximum of my glucose transporters? Well, 350 to 375. Is my filtered load below that 350, 375? Oh, yeah. Which means... It can reabsorb all 100 milligrams per minute, no problem. And so what happens is, when you have filtered 100 milligrams per minute of your glucose, the 600 continues back through your, your efferent into your paratubular capillaries, and then the reabsorbed 100 out of the lumen joins the 600 so that you are returning all 700 milligrams of glucose per minute back to the circulation. So how much am I expected to excrete? zero. And if you do your clearance equation of ux times v over p, you're looking at zero over one. And so you will see a clearance rate of zero. That's perfect. When you have a substance that is fully reabsorbed, you don't want to see it being cleared at all. So that's good. Let's look at patient B now. Now what's the problem with patient B? His glucose concentration is what? Oof. Five mg per mil is way above threshold. Okay. So now, if we look at this equation right here, we're looking at the amount of glucose that is flowing into my afferent arterial. Again, from this um, example, we calculated our renal plasma flow as 700 milliliters per minute. And again, if you multiply your 7 mils per min by 5 mg per mil, you'll get this rate. So 3,500 now milligrams of glucose is flowing through your afferent arterial per minute. And again, we've got to find our filtered load. So we need to find the rate at which our glucose is being filtered. And so again, from this example here, we found our GFR to be 100 mils per minute. So 100 times our 5 gives us a filtered load of 500 mg per minute. So here now we've got a patient where 3,500 milligrams of glucose is flowing into the glomerular capillaries every minute, of which 500 milligrams per minute gets filtered. What's my transport 
threshold, my transport maximum. 350 to 375. So I just filtered 500 though. So what's going to happen? It's going to reabsorb as much as it can. So it's going to reabsorb 375 megs. That's its transport maximum. It's as much as it can reabsorb. But the remainder, 125, is going to get excreted. And so what happens here is now you're going to start to see clearance. Because if we do our clearance equation, we have our excretion rate, which is 125 milligrams per minute, divided by our plasma concentration of 5. And so our clearance of glucose is 25 milliliters per minute. And what happens from here, we have 3,000 milligrams of glucose that continued on through our E4 and arterial into our peritubular capillaries. And then we reabsorb 375. And so we only have 3,375 3, milligrams of glucose per minute being returned to the circulation. So we are losing 125 megs per minute. And that's not what you want to see when you have substances that are being reabsorbed. And so because his renal threshold was, his, 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 um, his plasma concentration of glucose was above the renal threshold, that is going to tell you mm, that might be too much glucose being filtered and that will be above the transport maximum and you're probably looking at spillage of glucose. Whereas this patient, the renal threshold was well, the plasma glucose concentration was well below the renal threshold, which wasn't going to oversaturate your transporters, and so you were going to see no spillage. Yeah? Questions? All right. Yeah. How did I know my UG was going to be? My excretion rate, they're telling me that my excretion rate is 125 megs per minute. Right, right. So what's my clearance equation? What's my clearance equation? Can somebody help me out? Ux times V over P. So you take your excretion rate and you divide it by how much you had in your plasma, and then that will help you determine how much you had to clear. All right, so GFR. So we've learned already that our GFR is KF times delta P. But again, there's more than one way we can determine our GFR. We have inulin. Inulin is the number one most perfect substance for marking GFR. Only problem, inulin is not an endogenous substance. So you would have to inject a person with inulin every time you wanted to read their GFR, which is not exactly what you want to do. So when you're in the clinic, what you will look for in terms of determining your GFR are creatinine and blood urea nitrogen. So why is inulin a great measure of GFR? The best measure of GFR is inulin. Well, we know that when inulin is filtered, it is neither reabsorbed nor secreted. So what you filter is exactly what you excrete. And so if that's true, then we have to look for our filtered load being equal to our excretion rate. And if we do that, we expand our equation so we know our filtered load is GFR times PX, and that's going to have to be equal to our UX times V. 
And so if we do our GFR times the concentration of inulin in the plasma, equaling the flow rate times the urine concentration of inulin, you can manipulate the equation so that it equals GFR. So our GFR is going to be equal to the U inulin times V over P inulin. And so this equation, U inulin times V over P inulin, is what equation? Clearance. So you can also find your GFR by looking at the clearance of inulin and only the clearance of inulin, not the clearance of sodium, not the clearance of potassium, clearance of inulin, because inulin is the only substance where what is filtered is exactly the same amount as what is excreted. There's no reabsorption, no secretion. And so you're able to manipulate those two filtered load and excretion rate equations so that you can derive the GFR to be the clearance of inulin. Okay? And so you can find your GFR by finding the clearance of inulin. Again, not ideal if you have to inject a person with inulin every time you want to register their GFR. So clinically, you look at the creatinine levels and you find the clearance of creatinine. Now, creatinine is secreted, as we know, so it overestimates your GFR by about 10%, but that's still okay. It's still a good estimate. And then your blood urea nitrogen can also be used, but that is reabsorbed, so it kind of underestimates your GFR by about 10%, but that's okay. You're still roughly in the right ballpark. And so, here again, you have to infuse it, and that's not always going to be possible to do. So you look at your creatinine, and it's, um, and so this is why your inulin is so much better, is because it's neither reabsorbed nor secreted, and what you get filtered is what you get excreted. Okay? But clinically, you'll use the clearance rate of creatinine. All right, so we looked at transport maximum for solutes that are to be reabsorbed. Well, we also have solutes that need to be secreted as well. Right? And one of the major ones that we look at is paraaminohippurate. And so when we look at that, it too has a renal threshold, and it too has a transporter maximum rate. But let me ask you this question. When we looked at glucose, how much glucose do we want to see in our urine? Zero. So we want our clearance rate to be nothing. But when you have a substance that's being secreted, what would you like your clearance to look like? High or low? You want your clearance to be high. If it's a substance that's being secreted, that's meaning your body's trying to get rid of it. And so in this case, you want to see a high clearance rate of this substance. And so just like glucose, PAH has a renal threshold, which will denote how well your, your transporters are going to secrete and excrete your substance. So the renal threshold for PAH is 0.15 mgs per mil, or 15 mgs per deciliter. And the transport maximum is 80 milligrams per minute, which means you've got PAH being freely filtered. So no matter how much you have in the plasma, you're going to get filtration of your PAH. And as long as it's below 
your 15 milligrams per deciliter, you're going to get nice secretion of your solute. And as you secrete, you're going to excrete. It's what you want. But once you've exceeded your renal plasma threshold, your renal threshold, you'll start to see that secretion goes down. And so now it's staying in the blood. It's not really what you want to happen. But you'll see that the excretion rate drops, but it doesn't drop drastically like you might expect. Why do you still see excretion going up even though the secretion transporters are tapped out? Why do you still see excretion? I heard it. Because it's still being filtered. So you're still losing some through the filtration process, but you're not losing as much as you should have or can once your um, transporters are saturated. So with your PAH, sure, you want to see secretion happening with excretion happening, but once you exceed that renal threshold, then those um, transport maximum rate is saturated and then you can't secrete anymore and it stays in the blood. So again, let's look at patient A and patient B. So when you look at the plasma concentrations of PAH, you'll see that this patient is below threshold. Okay, so threshold is 0.15 mg per mil, he's at 0.1. But patient B is above your 0.15 milligrams per mil. So here again, we're still going to use the same values as we did in the other example with glucose, where our RPF remains at 700 mils per min and our GFR is 100 mils per min. And so here, if we were to do this equation, we would multiply our 0.1 mg per mil, our plasma pH, by our 700 milliliters per minute. And it will tell us that 70 milligrams of our pH is, being, is flowing into our afferent arterial to our glomerular capillaries. Now we do our filtered load again, 0.1 times our 100 mils per minute, and it gives us a filtered load of 10 milligrams per minute. So of the 70 milligrams that is flowing in, of PAH, that is flowing into my glomerular capillaries, I'm filtering 10 milligrams every minute. So that leaves 60 milligrams flowing through my efferent into my peritubular capillaries. Now what's my renal threat? That's what's my transport rate maximum for my PAH? 80, right? So I have filtered 10 mgs per minute and I've left 60 milligrams behind in my peritubular capillaries. Is that below or above my transport maximum rate? It's below. So I am able to secrete all 60 milligrams per minute, which leaves nothing going back in the circulation. Perfect. That's what I want. And so as such, the 60 milligrams minute that gets secreted into the tubule, joins up with the 10, and I end up excreting all 70 that was able to make it through. All 70 that made it through the efferent arterial into my glomerular capillaries, all of it gets excreted. And so if I do my clearance equation, ux times v over p, you'll find that my clearance rate is 700 milliliters per minute. Well, what do you notice about this 700 milliliters per minute? What do we also say was 700 milliliters per minute? His RPF. One thing you'll notice, the clearance of PAH can be equal to your renal plasma flow if, and only if, the 
plasma concentration is below threshold, renal threshold. So as long as it's below the renal threshold of 0.15, the clearance of, of PAH can equal your RPF. So if we look at patient B now, patient B is above the renal threshold of 0.15. It's at 0.2, right? And so again, if we do our math, if our RPF was 700 milliliters per minute, we multiply that by 0.2, we now have 140 milligrams of PAH entering into our glomerular capillaries for filtration. And if we calculate our filtered load, 20 milligrams of PAH gets filtered, which is now leaving 120 milligrams per minute in the efferent and peritubular capillaries, which is well above our transport maximum rate. But it's going to take what it can, so it does. It takes all 80 the transporters are able to handle, and so it essentially is able to excrete 100 of the 140 that pass through leaving 40 milligrams of PAH to continue back into the circulation. And so if you do the math, you'll find that the clearance rate is much less. I was only able to clear 500 milliliters of PAH versus 700 milliliters of PAH when it was below threshold. And so, again, your clearance of PAH can be used to estimate your RPF only if the plasma concentration is below renal threshold. Okay? And so this is what it would look like, your, ef your effective renal plasma flow, okay, UX times V over P, which is your PAH. But you can also be asked to, f to calculate the true renal plasma flow. And if you are asked that, then what happens is, instead of just taking the concentration of PAH on a whole, you have to break it up into the arterial and venous blood. And so you'll have to subtract a little bit of PAH that's left in the venous blood from that in the arterial. And so this would be the equation for the true RPF, and then this clearance can use it to find your estimated. So based on what values you are given, then you'll be able to determine what you're, you're going to be asked to find. So if they give you these, then you know they're probably going to look for the true. If they just give you simple plasma PAH, then you know it's estimated. So this is what your clearances should look like. My clearance of inulin, straight line. What I filtered, what I excrete. Okay. And so the clearance of inulin is my what? Is equal to what? GFR. So it's roughly 100 mils per minute. Right. Now my clearance of glucose below the renal threshold of 2 mg per mil should be zero. And it is. And once I reach that renal threshold of 2 mg per mil, I start to see spillage because now my transporters can't handle it. With PAH, I want to see clearance because it's a substance I don't want in the body. So as long as it's above threshold, I will see high levels of it being cleared. But once I reach my renal threshold, I start to see the clearance go down. And that's not good for a substance that you want to get rid of. So with clearance ratios, now you get to compare it to that of the clearance of inulin. So if I have a marker, right, and my clearance of X is equal to my clearance of inulin, then my ratio is 1. And then that means that solute X could also be a good marker for what then? GFR, right. Now if I have a reabsorbed solute, well, that means that my filtered load was higher than my excretion rate was. 
And so what happened was I lost some of that Sayud, right? And so my clearance of a reabsorbed Sayud, would I expect the clearance of a reabsorbed Sayud to be greater or less than my clearance of inulin? Less than. I've reabsorbed it, taken it back. I shouldn't see much being cleared because I want to keep it. But if I have a solute that's being secreted, would I expect my clearance of the secreted molecule to be higher or lower than that of my clearance of inulin or my GFR? You would expect it to see higher because this is a substance you want to get rid of. And so in terms of ratio, you're reabsorbing a solute. The clearance is going to be less than one relative to that of inulin, clearance of inulin. And a substance that's being secreted because you're adding it into the lumen to get rid of it, you would expect your clearance of that secreted solute to be greater than the clearance of inulin. All right, fractional excretion of sodium. Now this, very important clinically, because it's going to tell you whether your patient has what kind of renal failure, acute renal failure your patient will have. So your fractional excretion of sodium is going to measure sodium excreted in the urine relative to the amount reabsorbed by the kidney. And there's two ways you can do it. Um, what I like to use is the excretion rate over the filtered load. Or you can use the urine concentration of sodium multiplied by the plasma creatinine over the plasma sodium multiplied by the eucreatinine. Both of those will give you exactly the same ratio. Okay, so you'll see a ratio of 0.01. And then if they ask for the percentage, well, then it's 1%. How much sodium gets excreted, roughly, normally? About how much? How much? Can't hear you. How much sodium gets excreted normally, roughly? About 1%, right? So you want to see your fractional excretion of sodium to be 1%, to be normal. But in a clinical use, Sometimes you have a patient that will come to you that's in acute renal failure, and you want to know what's causing it. Is it pre-renal or is it intrarenal? And the fractional excretion of sodium can guide you and kind of give you an idea as to what your patient is dealing with. If I have low fractional excretion of sodium, which means I'm excreting less than 1%, what's happening with my sodium then if I'm excreting less than that 1%? I'm holding it, I'm retaining it, which means that there's probably a problem going on pre-renally. Maybe the patient has congestive heart failure or has hemorrhagic shock, has losing blood. In any case, the kidney's feeling, I gotta hold on to this sodium, right? So there's a pre-renal disease that's outside of the kidney and the kidney's trying to hoard the sodium so it can get the blood volume back up. So that will indicate that there's a problem ahead of the kidney. But what happens if you notice that my fractional excretion is higher than one. That means I am excreting a lot more than that 1%. Well, that means that there's sodium wasting going on in the tubule, which probably means there's tubular damage. Sometimes you'll see necrosis of the tubular cells and then it just sloughs off and it can't reabsorb your sodium and you end up losing the sodium. So that is a good telltale um, indicator that there's probably something going on in the kidney in itself. So there's probably some necrosis and so the reabsorptive capabilities are not happening. And so based on this value, whether it be greater than or less than 0.01 or 1%, 
that will give you an idea as to what's happening with your patient relative to the kidney. All right, so again, we did this one already. The clearance of which substance would best approximate your GFR? Which one would it be? Okay, so which is the key word in my STEM? Best, because creatinine is used, but the best one is inulin. Yeah, good. And so which substance would best approximate your effective renal plasma flow? Oh, it's not open? Okay, hold on. Oh, my dear. Okay, okay. Which one is it? pH. Good. And that's only if it's below renal threshold. Okay. Next one. All right. So you have a substance that has a renal clearance five times that of inulin. So what do you think is happening with this substance? You're really trying to get rid of this substance, so you'd expect that it's filtered as well as secreted. Okay. So what is my clearance of inulin equal to? What's my clearance of inulin equal to? My GFR. Now, if I have a clearance of a reabsorbed solute, I would expect that to be greater than or less than my clearance of inulin. Less than, as opposed to a solute that's secreted, you would expect it to be greater than inulin. 
What's my clearance of PAH equal to? My RPF, or estimated RPF. What about my glucose threshold? What value is that? What's my glucose renal threshold number? 375. My renal threshold is? 2 milligrams per mg. So remember, my renal threshold is the concentration. My transport maximum is the rate. So my glucose is 2 mg per mil. What's my transport maximum? 350 to 375 mg per min. What's my PAH threshold? 0.15 mg per mil or 15 mg per deciliter. And my transport maximum for PAH would then be 80 mg per min. And what's my clearance equation? What's my clearance equation? Ux times V over... All right, go for break. I'll see you in 10.